Welcome. On today's episode, we're going to be talking strategies and creative ways that can help you supplement the, what you've got in your home for groceries and some ways to do it without having to grow or plant anything, which means you might not even have to worry about having your own land to finding some of this food. And the second way is putting in some crops that come back for you every year or that you're going to be wanting to put in that serve two purposes. Not only do they help you with your food bill, but they also can be used to build up a natural medicine cabinet. I want to welcome you to today's show. This is episode number 105 of the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host, where we are inspiring your faith and your pioneer roots. Well, I'm a huge advocate of growing your own food. We raise all of our own meat. So we have our own beef cattle. We raise laying hens for fresh eggs every day, as well as meat chickens, which we butcher ourselves. And we also raise our own pork. We're able, we live, we can go to the coast. It's about an hour for us. So with when it's in season, we also are able to go out and we catch our own crab and Usually, we hopefully catch enough in order to then preserve it and put that up for the whole year, as well as salmon. And then we grow quite a bit of our own fruits and vegetables with an all heirloom seed garden and practice seed saving. And those practices are wonderful. In fact, just our previous episode, which is episode number 104, which was last week, we talked about permaculture gardening, a beginner's guide, and nine easy tips for you to implement today within your garden. And so we're going to kind of take that a little bit further even today and talk about some other creative ways that you can go and get food that doesn't involve the grocery store or you necessarily planting anything. And we talk a lot about this in episode number 66, and that is using wild foraging or wild foraging for wild edible techniques. It's a great way to supplement what you're growing and to bring food in and a lot of the things that you will be foraging wildly and also some of the things that we're going to be talking about today and bringing in and planting on the homestead or in your garden area are plants, like I said, that serve two purposes. They both have culinary, so edible uses and properties with our cooking and our food, but they can also be used medicinally. Now, I have to tell you, Full-on disclaimer, disclosure, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional, I'm not a certified herbalist or anything like that. I am in no way diagnosing or prescribing for you. I am just simply sharing what we forage and what we do at home for a natural medicine cabinet and growing things like that as far as our herbs. And so I'm just sharing with you what works for us, okay? So we got that clear and out of the way. One of the first things that we like to forage, and it comes up seasonally for us as well. So at the time of this recording, we are about mid-April in 2017. One of the very first crops that come up around here as far as the foraging goes are stinging nettles. Now I did, if you are a visual person and you want to be watching this, you are going to want to go and check out our Facebook Live. So we do the Pioneering Today Live show. This is the Pioneering Today podcast. We do a live show every Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time on our Facebook page. And so one of our previous episodes that we did, so you can catch those at facebook.com 
slash Melissa K. Norris slash videos. And you can catch all of those as well as on the blog. But we did an in-depth where I walked you out to our edge of our pasture in the forest and I showed you how to harvest for stinging nettles. So if you're a visual person and you really want to be able to watch that, then you can go and do that there. And I will have the links for that in today's episode show notes, which can be found at melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button. And this is episode number 105. Stinging nettles come up and they grow in shady woody areas and they're one of the first things that pop up in the spring. Now when I was a kid, they have they are very well named. They will sting. So if you go out to forage for those, make sure that you're wearing protective clothing, long pants, jeans, long sleeves and gloves. They are not something that we're going to be picking with our bare hands because they really do sting. Drive you kind of crazy. But they are an excellent source in the early springtime, especially because that's when the leaves and that's what we are harvesting off of them is the leaves, they are more tender. The leaves are a great green. We use them like you would spinach. They're great sauteed. You can put them in soups and stews. I will pop them in bone broth for an added boost when we're making homemade broth. They also can be used as a tea. So they kind of are an all around green. They probably aren't quite as strong flavored I would say as spinach, a little bit more mild, but they're an excellent green. And the great thing is, is once they are fully cooked, they do not sting you. And I have to tell you, the first time that we tried them and kind of like, it's very, it's kind of nerve wracking because you know how much they sting if you just brush up against them in the wild or if you're picking them and you're not wearing gloves or protective clothing, they really do sting. And so the thought of putting that into your mouth, it's kind of like, oh my but when they're fully cooked, I promise they don't sting you. You will be absolutely fine. You'll just have to trust me before you, when you take that first bite. They grow abundantly. And the first places they'll come up is they don't grow in full sun. So they're not out in, at least not here anyways, in the Pacific Northwest. They don't grow out in the pastures. But you will find them along the edge of the forest and then within the forest, especially forests in the spring that have maple and alder and cottonwood things where they've not leafed out all the way yet, so more light is getting through. And they still do grow where we've got our evergreens. Here we've got hemlock, pine, cedar, fir. But they first come up for those very first crops, more along where it's a little bit more open and not quite so heavily shaded with such a heavy canopy on it like you have with the evergreens. We harvest them, and like I said, I will saute those up in the morning and have eggs over easy on them or add them just like you would to soups and stews like spinach. Some people will even eat them on pizza. I haven't tried that yet, but that is up next for us to be trying. And what I love about that is the stinging nettle leaves are filled with vitamin A, C. They've got some iron in there and some protein. So they've got vitamins in there and they're just a great way to supplement and bring in some fresh leafy greens when typically this early in our growing season, I don't have a whole lot of that growing yet in the garden. We're still a little bit cold. And I love that I don't have to plan and planting them out early or around our last or average frost date. They just pop up. They're just God's bounty and I can go out and harvest them. And you'll also, for best harvesting practices, especially when it comes to foraging and wild edibles to make sure that you're staying safe and all of that, you're going to want to dive back deeper into episode number 66 or that Facebook live video that I'll have linked to you in the show notes. The other great thing about the stinging nettle is not only is it a great leafy green in order for us to be supplementing with, but that you can dry the leaves. You can use them fresh or dried. And in the show notes, I'll link you to, to a tutorial on that. But you can make a tea out of it. There's lots of different thoughts there with the teas. Um, a 
Some people think that it can help aid their response to allergies and allergens. And then there's other folks that will use that for urinary. Um, the Greeks, actually, it's been used for a very long time. So there's some different things there that people will make tea. And it's a very mild flavored tea. It doesn't have a very strong flavor at all. So you can add, you know, honey or sweetener or whatever you want there. But it's a pretty mild tea. And I like to drink that one. It's also thought that it can be helpful with the smooth muscles, which can sometimes be beneficial for females. Now, if you don't have stinging nettles growing wildly where you live, they pretty much grow all over the United States and Europe. If you're really, really hot and dry, they may not grow there. Like I said, they tend to be in those shady forested areas where typically you've got some more moisture and cooler temperatures, but you can get them and grow them from seed. But I will give you a word of caution. They really spread. They spread via a runner system. And here, like if they start growing at the edge of your yard, they're like a pain to get rid of. They're really hard to eradicate. So if you go to plant them, I highly recommend that you put them in a planter and that you don't plant them somewhere where your kids are going to be running around and playing or you're going to be really active at because they do sting. Next up on our list is bringing in some perennial herbs. So the time people of old and the pioneers, many times when you went back to those homes, they would have a kitchen herb garden. And that's going back hundreds and hundreds of years as people would grow their own herbs. And then you they would call them a kitchen herb garden because typically they would be planted fairly close to the house and where the kitchen is so that you could just step out when you were cooking and grab the herbs that you need and then go back in and finish the recipe and keep an eye on it. I love bringing those old things and those old timey and fashion things into our modern lives. So getting started with a kitchen herb garden is a great place to begin. This is the time of year. If you don't already have some of these herbs in, then you'll be wanting to add them in. And I'm going to be giving you the list of the perennials because a lot of the times when you're planting plants and perennials are plants that come back every year, depending upon your gardening zone. So if you are super, super cold, then some plants will act as a perennial world in a more mild climate. They'll winter over and come back without any work. If you're in a super, super cold climate, they may not make it through the winter and you'll have to plant them again the next year. So a little bit of this will be zone dependent. I happen to be gardening zone seven, which means our last average frost date is the very first part of May, April 29th through about May 10th, depending upon the year. And then we typically get those frost and cold temps coming back mid-September. So that gives you a little bit of an idea. And we don't normally get down into the single digits or zero degrees Fahrenheit, though this year, this winter we did, we can. Typically, we're more in the teens and the 20s during the winter months, but that'll just give you a little bit of an idea for gardening zone seven. And a lot of the ones that I'm going to be talking about today in this episode, these are the ones in that gardening zone that make it over and winter over for me. When you're putting in perennials, and so this is true for most perennials, so thinking about fruit trees and fruit bushes, rhubarb, blueberries, strawberries, of course, apples, pears, peaches, all of those types of things. The early springtime is when most of nurseries and plant places will have those out, and it's one of the best times to be putting them into the ground. So we can get them in in the ground, and they can start to get a root system established before we get the more stressful time of year with the summertime. But even if you put them in this time of year, still when it's a bit cooler, at least where I'm at right now, 
when you get those really hot summer months, the first year that you've put them in, you're going to want to make sure that you're watering them well. If it's not raining out, that they're getting water, good watering once a week. What I love about a kitchen herb garden is most of the herbs that I'm going to be giving you today, these are considered culinary herbs. So they're herbs that we're going to be using in our cooking, but they can also double and have medicinal purposes. If you get them in now, then when it comes to the harvest time and preserving them as we get further on into the year and you'll be getting a larger harvest as they grow, then you'll be able to use them not only in your eating, but you'll be able to stock and make a natural medicine cabinet, which we're going to have some future episodes on that on the podcast coming up. So stay tuned and make sure that you're subscribed if that is something of interest to you. But one of the ones up first on my list are chives. Chives are a great culinary herb. They come back every year. They die off during the winter months, but then they come up without any work. So they're one of the first ones to come up in the spring. And of course, with chives, we can use them as we would similarly to green onions, anything in the alum family, scallions, that type of thing to get that flavor with your chives. Rosemary is another one of my favorite herbs. Now, rosemary, if you get really cold down into like the zeros and the single digits, it can be really hard to overwinter rosemary. So if you're in a really harsh climate, you might not be able to get it to overwinter. And being in gardening zone seven, I have had some issues with it overwintering in the past. It would die every single winter and I would have to buy a new plant and put it in come springtime. But for the past four years, I have not had to do that. One of the things that I discovered with the rosemary is I moved it from the more exposed regular garden area into a large container that has southern exposure that's tucked right up against our house on our back patio. And by doing that, it has made it through. It's now a four-year-old plant and I haven't lost it, even though we did have zero degree weather and those single digits this winter. So if you can find a southern exposure sheltered area for those things that are kind of borderline on whether or not they'll make it through the winter, rosemary being a primary one, take a look and see if you can add it in to a better area on your property or if you're planting it for the first time make sure that you're checking that out and taking that into consideration. Some other great perennials to be adding in as far as the urban and the kitchen garden go, and this is especially for making teas, though it does go well with um, both desserts. Gotta love that part, especially chocolate. And with meats, and that's gonna be things in the mint family. So there's peppermint and spearmint. I have a chocolate mint plant, though I have to tell you, I was really excited because I thought it would have the flavor of chocolate with the mint. No, that's not the case. It's actually a brown stem, and then the mint leaves come off of there. So it looks like, could be because of the brown chocolate mint, but it doesn't have a flavor profile of chocolate mint, but it's still a great mint plant to add in. When you are planting anything in the mint family that's related to mint, they spread via the runner system, just like I mentioned with the stinging nettles. So that's something you're going to want to put in either a container or an area that you don't care if it spreads because it will spread like mint going crazy all over the homestead. Another one of my favorites to put in that will go all the year round is sage. Sage is a great culinary herb. It also has its place in the medicine cabinet. Sage can be really soothing to the throat. And one of the things I love about sage is not only is it very flavorful, so of course, and I like to throw it in soups and stews, and of course with meats and all of that type of stuff, casseroles, 
But sage is so pretty. It's got a very silvery, almost velvety feeling leaf. It's really soft and it's that silvery green color. So it pops gorgeously when you've got it out in your flower beds or in containers. As far as creating your kitchen herb garden, of course, where would we be without putting in our thyme and oregano? Here, I need to actually put thyme in. I don't have a current patch of thyme, but my oregano... I can pretty much harvest oregano all year round. Now, thyme and oregano oregano both are spreading. So they will send out spreaders and go all over. So again, put them in an area that you don't care that they sprawl out or make sure that you have them in a container. But the great thing that I love about the oregano is I can harvest that. We planted that. It's in the southern exposure next to our back deck near my container of the rosemary. And it Even if it's been covered in snow, as soon as the snow melts off, I can usually find little bits of green. And it's one of the first herbs to turn really green that I can start harvesting in the early spring. So I can already go out and harvest fresh oregano right now along with the rosemary. The sage and the mint take a little bit longer to come back in the spring. So those ones aren't quite ready for me to begin harvesting on again. In fact, the mint is just now sending up all its new little growth and its sprouts Um, So they're just little itty bitty, about a half an inch tall. So those aren't going to be ready to harvest for another month or so. But that's one of the blessings of having that rosemary and the oregano and the chives. So those are the earliest harvesters for me that winter over really well. Another early spring one that you don't have to plant in almost every yard has are dandelions. So dandelions are a great plant you can use them especially when they're young so springtime is best just like with the stinging nettles to do your harvesting of them because the leaves are more tender and if they get older and further into the season they can often have a bitter taste which we don't really want but the dandelion is great because we can harvest the leaves on there to put into salads as you would a regular green. You can also take the blossoms and I will link to, I haven't personally done this one, but I saw it and I thought it was awesome. So I'll link to that in the show notes, but you can make up a batter and dip the blossoms in batter and then fry them up. I thought that was great. And then you can also harvest the root. Now dandelions have a really long, big tap root. All parts of the dandelion can be harvested and are edible and can be used for different things. And not to mention, they're pretty much everywhere. Now, one thing with the foraging, I highly encourage you to go on and listen to episode number 66 if you haven't in order to stay safe with foraging. But a few quick things while we're on this episode. You want to make sure that you're not harvesting from somewhere that's been sprayed with pesticides or chemicals. And oftentimes in yards, people are looking for that manicured look and they will use Roundup. Make sure no chemicals have been sprayed where you are harvesting. You don't want to harvest next to a roadway. For the same reason, you've got pollution coming off from the vehicles, you've got runoff that are on the road, and then most counties will go through and spray to keep the weeds down. So they're spraying weed killer right along the the edge of the road. So those are reasons that we don't want to harvest from there. And then, of course, you always want to rinse it and wash everything before you use it and know without a doubt what it is that you are harvesting before you ever eat it. You need to know that it's safe, that it's been properly identified, and that you know 100% without a shadow of a doubt that it is a safe edible before you ever go about eating it. And I will be sharing on an upcoming 
Pioneering Today live show, we'll be going more in depth on harvesting and using the dandelions. And if you want to get a reminder, one, you want to be subscribed to the email list. I will shoot you out all of the reminders and emails and links to everything. And secondly, for the live show, if you go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Melissa K. Norris and in the message box. So when you're actually shooting someone a private message, if you type, shoot me a message that says, remind me, I've got this awesome software that will then register you. And then about five minutes before we go live on Thursday mornings, it will shoot you a message. So that's great because we're all super busy, right? And there's so many times where I have meant to catch something and I've totally forgot. So that's where this will come in and it, that way you'll be able to make the show live. You'll get that reminder because it's really fun because you get to ask questions and see everything in live time as I'm demonstrating and actually doing what we're talking about. So you wanna make sure that you take advantage of that. And today's episode is brought to you and sponsored by the Pioneering Today Academy. So Pioneering Today Academy is the membership site that documents and follows everything that we do on the homestead with video lessons, download tutorials, and I walk you through how we grow and harvest and preserve and everything that we do here in creating a self-sufficient, old-fashioned homestead in a modern world. Today's verse of the week comes from 1 Corinthians and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 and this is the amplified translation of the Bible. Therefore my beloved brethren my be firm steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord always being superior excelling doing more than enough in the service of the Lord, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile. It is never wasted or to no purpose. And I really, this verse really spoke to me because sometimes it can feel like what we're doing isn't important. I know that all of us have felt that way in one time or another. Or sometimes, you know, we really feel that we're, you know, we're really trying and we're really praying and we're just not seeing anything happening in that situation. But know that your prayers and the work that you're doing, that God sees it and it's not wasted. It's not in vain and it's making a difference, even if you can't tell that right now and in this moment. So to hang on, hang in there. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and I can't wait to see you on our next episode and also to get to visit with you on the Pioneering Today live show. And you can check out becoming a member of the Pioneering Today Academy at melissaknorris.com slash Pioneering Today Academy. 